This is a Squiz podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. This week's podcast is brought to you by BHP. Copper is a big deal in the energy transition because it's used to make electric vehicles, wind turbines and solar panels. When it comes to producing copper responsibly, it's happening now at BHP. Saturday Squeeze is your shortcut to being informed weekend style. I'm Kate Watson. And I'm Claire Kimball. Claire, welcome back to Saturday Squeeze. I was going to do a big grand welcome back, but you've actually been back on the Squeeze Today podcast a lot this week. So I, I had a week off. I know it seems like a really big deal. It was not like deal. I was gone for a month. I had a week off. It was lovely. How was Hawaii? Got really great. Yeah. Got a little bit of a tan even. She so did. She just did. nice to be in the sun and the warmth. Strategically wore a white t-shirt on her first day back, oh, yeah. so she looked uber tan. Exactly. Only two weekends now until Christmas. Of course, we'll get another break then, Claire, which is great. Two more Saturday Squeeze episodes to the end of the year. Mm. Today we start with the saddest Christmas tree in Australia. We do, and that's because it was a standout talking point in our office this week and also the thing that Squizzes clicked on the most in the Squiz Today newsletter. Yeah, so the context here is Port Macquarie Council tried to dress up one of its iconic Norfolk pine trees for Christmas. The result was something that, as they conceded, <laughs> looked like, and this is their quote, and I really, really have deep affection for the Port Macquarie Council now after this, it looked like it was decorated by Santa after he whizzed around the world and had too many eggnogs. <laughs> it's just too funny. And we have a few subgenres of news that we love, but uh, this time of year, one of the peak ones are terrible Christmas trees mm. somewhere in the world. Uh, last year, it was a Christmas tree that was gifted to the people of Britain by Norway, That's you might remember it. Uh, It was displayed in Trafalgar Square in London and it was very bedraggled. And it was very befitting of the year (laughs) that it was put there. It's um, a bit of a visual story so it's hard to talk about in a podcast but it is absolutely hilarious. Go and have a look at these Christmas trees. The links are in your episode notes and um, I think Port Macquarie really delivered for us this year, didn't it? Well worth a look. Moving on to the most covered story of the week. It was Anthony Albanese and his price caps on coal. Context, the government is projecting that power prices will rise by about 20% this financial year and a further 30% next financial year without any intervention. I'll get you to talk about that, Claire, because it was a big story this week. But uh, we should say, that Meghan and Harry, after that Netflix documentary aired on Thursday night, very quickly overtook energy prices as the biggest story of the week. And we will talk about that later in the podcast. For now, power prices, Claire. Exactly right. And look, Electricity prices is a really complex topic, um, but it really comes off the back of a big promise in the election to reduce prices for Aussies because, as you say, uh, it's a big deal for consumers and for businesses. Uh, There have been meetings with energy ministers and yesterday a meeting of the National Cabinet to go through the federal government's plan. Long story short, I cannot wait to see my power bill go down. Well, I think it's a story that does relate to everyone. We all have felt that pinch uh, and it certainly has been a very dominant news story this week, but we will leave it there, Claire. On to the story we've been talking about. 
Last week, Claire Bryce and I were sitting here in the studio getting all excited about the Socceroos. Yeah. I love it when the nation gets wrapped up in a sporting moment. It's one of the best things that happens. The come down is so very real, though, when miracles don't happen. I'm totally with you when it comes to those big sporting moments. Yeah. And look, the Socceroos did really well to get through to the round of 16. Uh, progressing past that, it would have been a first for us at the World Cup. Wasn't to be, and they went down to Argentina two to one. So, so close. Or as you once called it, Argentinia. Argentinia. <laughs> yes, it's Argentina. <laughs> I did once call it Argentinia in the Squiz Today podcast. My point is, I guess, that I wish we were sitting here today talking about them playing in the semis. Oh, yeah. I'm with you. Totally with you. It would have been good. Instead, we're talking about politics. We both love politics news and what we're specifically talking about is the Australian election study. Please don't turn off the podcast. (laughs) This is very relevant. Um, It's about how you voted in May. It gives some really awesome insights into how we're making decisions as a nation. Uh, The reason why this report is a great one is because it's a national representative sample of 2,500 voters. It doesn't sound like a lot, but the best thing is that they've been conducting this study after every federal election since 1987. So the ability for this survey to provide context is really there. It does, and it goes really deep into the factors that influence voting behaviour. It's not like news poll or those other polls that the newspapers carry Mm. about who's popular in the moment. It's about the underlying factors that go to the attitudes that shape us as a nation. Yeah, it's a bit of a dry read. I have read it from top to bottom. I found it very, very fascinating. You're such a nerd, Kate Watson. Yeah, we are. The coverage I saw, Claire, mainly focused on the teals, the fact that the study found that the teal seats were not necessarily won by converting disaffected Liberal voters, but rather by gaining votes off those who would usually vote Labor and the Greens. Before I hand over to you, the data to back that up is mm. that 31% of Teal voters had voted for Labor at the 2019 election. 24% had voted for the Greens. 18% had voted for the Coalition. So what they're calling and what this study is calling these voters are tactical voters. And look, the study found that a majority of Teal supporters saw their traditional party, whether that was the Liberals, Labor or the Greens, as non-viable in their local seats. So they decided to switch their vote to an independent candidate to have a greater chance of victory. And yes, a lower proportion of Liberal voters walked away from the party than Greens and Labor voters. But it's actually what former Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull always said about his viability as leader of the Liberals, that the Liberals were better off with someone like him because he was more moderate and able to talk to a wider pool of voters than someone like Tony Abbott or Scott Morrison or Peter Dutton because they're less likely to be able to hold on to progressive Liberal voters. Yeah, and of course, this teal wave really happened in those traditionally Liberal seats. Cue lots of discussion about where the Liberal Party goes from here. A few other interesting tidbits that I wanted to pull out. Preferential voting. So that's when you vote the way that how to vote card says to vote. So that piece of paper that you handed as you walk into the ballot box. They're all jostling trying to get their piece of paper into your hand. So in 1996, 56% of us said that we followed the how to vote card. Yep. Pretty much. This year, only 31% did so. So the majority of people are deciding their own preferences. 
Yeah, so if you're a political party looking to get your supporters to do exactly as you would like them to do, it's getting increasingly hard. The other thing that got a bit of pick up was around gender, of course. So in the 1990s, women were slightly more likely to vote for the coalition. Men were more likely to vote Labor. This, over the last few years, has gradually switched. More men now prefer the coalition, more women prefer Labor. The long story short out of all of this is that women are increasingly preferring parties on the left, men, parties on the right. To back this up, and this was the outstanding stat for me across the whole study, twice as many women as men voted for the Greens. Yeah, and it's a really interesting junction about where things go to from here. Mm. Gender is going to be talked about increasingly more when it comes to support for political parties for exactly the reasons that you talked about. Mm. If there is a sort of skewing to the left of the population when it comes to the issues that they're following and more women are going in that direction, it's a really big question for the major political parties as to how they communicate with women. Uh, in the focus, of course, is the Liberal Party. Mm. There's been a lot of talk in recent years about whether they've got enough women coming forward in their party Through to the be ranks. MPs, yep. uh, but also, of course, their supporters. So it's a watch this space. And I mean, this study really was about all the problems for the Liberals and the reporting of it was about all the problems for the Liberals. Well, so they why lost. Don't we, well, let's they throw, lost. One, should we throw one more problem they've got in. <laughs> sure. Okay. There's also the fact that the coalition has very little support among millennials and Gen Z. Many on the conservative side of politics will argue, well, that's fine because that's always been the case and they get older yeah. and they get more conservative. That's not necessarily happening, though. It's not new news that fewer young voters support the coalition. No. What is new news potentially is, as you say, as we get older, whether that demographic, so it's Gen X, mm. are actually going to skew enough to the coalition to give them the support that they've always traditionally had. You and I both used to work in politics, Claire. Not our problem anymore, <laughs> but still fascinating nonetheless to look at. That's enough about our election. There's plenty more in that report. If you do want to check it out, we'll put a link to to it in your episode notes. Let's look forward to an election coming up next week and some other news that we might come across in the coming week. Fiji's election, Claire, is on the 14th of December. That's next Wednesday. Given we've spent a lot of time this year talking about the Pacific family and the troubles that we've had, particularly in the Solomons, also other nations, spending a bit of time on Fiji is a pretty good thing to do. Have you been to Fiji? I went for my uh, schoolies. Did you? I did. It was great. Too fancy for the Gold Coast. Well, I wasn't allowed to oh. go to the Gold Coast. So me and a mate went to Fiji, oh. an island, a nice. party island. Okay. <laughs> we'll take this offline. I want to know more about that. Uh, I've been once for a really lovely holiday and, of course, it was a really hot destination for many Aussies when the borders opened last mm. year because it was one of the few nations that we could get to really quickly. Yeah, the politics of Fiji is interesting. We won't dwell on it, but it will be a thing that we're talking about next week. Their Prime Minister, Frank Barney Marama, which is a hard word to say, <laughs> he's from... The the Fiji First Party, he's been a really dominant figure in politics over there for a really long time, decades. He's a former commander of the Fijian military forces and he was the instigator of that coup back in 2006. That was actually the year I went. Yeah, he sure did. And over the following years, he consolidated power and also won elections. Uh, that brings us to this election, which has also been clouded by drama. He's up against the People's Alliance, which is headed by Sidaveni Rabuka. Uh, he's also a former military leader who instigated a couple of coups. That was back in 
1987. And of course, as you alluded to, this all matters to us and will be talked about in the news because Fiji has a leadership role in our region. Stand by to see that. As I said, it's happening on Wednesday. Next week, we also have the finale of The White Lotus, Claire. I divulged last week that I was into it now. Mm. I'm into the show. Bryce and I are on board. I heard. For those playing along at home, your prediction on who dies? Not going to hazard a guess, but (laughs) I've really loved the elaborate theorising. It's all over Twitter. It's all over the internet. Plotting someone's death has never been more entertaining. And if you have missed The White Lotus, that is completely fine. We'll move right along because one thing you actually can't miss, whether you've watched it or not, is this whole Meghan and Harry saga. Yep, let's do that. The first drop of episodes were on Netflix on Thursday. The next round is out on Thursday next week. I put it on for a couple of minutes and couldn't do it. <laughs> Just couldn't do it. You uh, did watch the first episode. Watch though. the whole first episode. I actually really enjoyed it. Yeah. If enjoying is the right word. Yeah. It's just so fascinating to see how they tell their story. Uh, a quick couple of observations. It's very geared to the American audience, so it's really overlaid with a lot of context, mm. uh, explaining the role of the royals and their importance in the UK. Uh, so really that environment that Meghan was marrying into and just how alien it all was for her. Uh, The second is just how Harry is lining his story up against that of Diana's, Mm. uh, particularly how hard it is when you're kicked out of the royal family. I mean, chats everywhere have blown up with the opinion Mm. on the whole thing. Um, As you said to me, Claire, it's, and particularly for me and I think for a lot of people, it's less about what's in it and what's Mm. actually in the documentary, but the strategy behind it and whether what they're doing and why they're doing it and how they're doing it and the money they're making from it. And that whole conversation is absolutely where this is going to land. Exactly right. As you often say, it's a thing. It's if a thing. If you're into news, you kind of got to see it. Next round of episodes <laughs> will drop on Thursday. As for other things next week, before we move on to Squeeze Recommends, we've got the FIFA World Cup semi-finals. Staying with sport, it's the Hawthorne AGM, Claire. For those who follow AFL, there's a whole lot of news in and around that. And that it's will a happen. thing, you would say. It's a thing that will happen off the back of that and it's Taylor Swift's birthday. She'll be 33 next week. Happy birthday. (laughs) Squeeze recommends this week and I think this comes off the back of the White Lotus, Mm. uh, this whole conversation around gaslighting. Although it's this word that we've been all sort of talking about for years and years now. But there was an article doing the rounds from the London Telegraph, uh, the newspaper there, about gaslighting and some definitions of it. I'm still a bit confused about what (laughs) gaslighting is and I hope that doesn't mean that I'm a gaslighter. Um, (laughs) Come on, break it down for me, Claire. You are many things, Kate, but I don't think you're a gaslighter as far as I've observed anyway. (laughs) Uh, Look, gaslighting is a verb. It's defined as the psychological manipulation of an individual It comes from a play that was made into a film called Gaslight. That was from the 1930s. And it was about a man who tries to drive his wife mad by dimming the gaslights in their home and telling her that she's imagining it. Which really does sum up what it is. I think I kind of understand. But this article is a good read because it kind of breaks down all the different forms of gaslighting. You can really go about it. Exactly. So that link is in your episode notes. Um, And as you said to me, it's a real conversation starter. It most certainly is. Of course, Aubrey Plaza seems to be the one in The White Lotus really going for it. She's such a great actress, so really into that. wonder if she dies. 
Well, you know, I'm not going to speculate. <laughs> we will see. Um, we haven't watched this one, but our team at The Squiz really recommends watching Colin from Accounts. It's an Aussie comedy on Binge and Foxtel. The lead actor is someone that I've seen in other stuff and he's really great. So that's definitely on my list. <laughs> on to Squiz Press. Squiz Press this week. Squiz Kids had another big week, Claire. Oh, we've just been talking about Squiz Kids like last Saturday, all through the week, but they've had a really big wrap up to the year. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Uh, They've done an interview with Julie Immigrant. She, of course, is the e-safety commissioner for Australia. Uh, She's been talking to Squiz Kids about keeping kids safe online. Uh, Also, they've done the Squizzy Awards. It's a big highlight for their year. It's the stinkiest, funniest, cutest stories. If you want a shot of fun and positivity, we're totally here for it get onto the Squiz Kids podcast channel and have a listen. Yeah, anyone who's got kids in their life, it is uh, really, really, really funny, mm. actually. Um, Claire, also, we are going to be doing some hiring in the new year, so we thought we might foreshadow that. We have really high fertility rates at the Squiz. I don't know whether it's something <laughs> in the water. I don't know what exactly is happening. I don't really want to probe it too deeply, <laughs> but we've got a couple of parental leave places to fill early next year, so we're looking for people to join our commercial and our content team. We will put a link to those job ads up in the new year, but we thought we might plant the seed with anyone out there who might be interested in joining the team. If you want to send us a note now, hello at thesqueeze.com.au. That's it for Saturday Squeeze this week, Claire. Any final farewells? Not really. Have a good weekend. Enjoy your weekend, everyone. We'll be back next week. 